I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. In uh, the life of this podcast, one of my uh, favorite people to talk to is Dan O'Brien, the poet and playwright, has been on uh, six times previously over ten years now. We've uh, talked about his writing and whether it's uh, for the stage or memoir or poetry, I find I understand life a little bit better. He's got a new collection of poetry out now, Survivor's Notebook. Just as uh, his wife, the actor, writer, and producer Jessica St. Clair, was going through her own cancer diagnosis and treatment, Dan is diagnosed with cancer himself. The 2021 collection, Our Cancers, chronicles that tremendous upheaval in their lives, while this uh, new collection takes us through some of that trauma and charts a path forward. There are poems in this book that look at how identity is shaped by illness, the threat of death, and uh, the procedures undertaking as one heals. There are pieces that look at superstition, chance, and self-criticism, as well as distill the beauty that's around us if we uh, just take the time to appreciate it. I found the pieces in the book that ponder survival and why we survive, not just moving, but necessary. Dan O'Brien is a playwright, poet, essayist, memoirist, and librettist. His play, The House in Scarsdale, a memoir for the stage, uh, won the uh, 2018 Pen America Drama Award in Drama. His website is at danobrien.org. This new collection is published by Acre Books. It's always good to talk to Dan, and I'm pleased to note that I'll be speaking with him again in a few weeks as he's got uh, two other books coming out shortly, a memoir and a collection of his plays. We taped this conversation 19 days ago. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Dan O'Brien. Mr. O'Brien, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Thank you um, for having me on your show again. Thank, thanks for, for uh, joining us. It's, 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 I must say, reading Survivor's Notebook, um, how much I got out of it. Not just your story and what you went through and the feelings you were going through especially, because you work these things out through, through the poems in this book. Um, I, I found something useful for myself, and I, I don't know how um, personal I'm allowed to get in, in the course of our conversation, but, but you have to know. Please, please do. <laughs> you have to know that, that um, and I can't be the only one who will say this. I'm sure readers who have picked up the book already um, found the book useful. I mean, is that what you're hearing from people? Oh, good. I, I have been here. I mean, it's so it's so new. It's uh, people who pre-ordered the book have been receiving the book maybe in the last couple of weeks, um, and, and the official publication date is not till the fifteenth. So it's really a pretty new um, experience to hear people hear from people who have read the, the entire book. Um, and I have heard some of that. I mean, last night was a book uh, launch event, and there are people that came to the event who had already read it who were. Um, telling me about their stories with cancer or with other, you know, sort of existential challenges or, or threats they've, they've gone through in their life. And uh, and it did seem to be resonating with them. Um, and, you know, that, that is my hope. I don't want to overstate what a book of poems can do for anyone, but I, I, I do hope um, the poems can be kind of helpful in a way. The people who may be going through something similar, uh, who have gone through something similar, um, and uh, only because, you know, I'm a writer for a lot of reasons. But one big reason was writers, poets, especially that I read as a teenager, who um, 
would probably be considered the confessional poets, uh-huh. uh, you know, Sylvia Plath or Anne Sexton or Robert Lowell. Uh, you know, the, reading their poems as a teenager was a revelation, you know, that people could confess or they could just tell the truth about what they were dealing with, if they were struggling with their life, and they could make something um, beautiful out of it and something that was comforting to me as a reader going through my... Uh, fairly difficult childhood, you know. It was yeah. a real lifeline to find those to find those books. So I, I th- that is kind of my dream, you know, that something I write could be helpful to somebody. And I guess the, the terrible thing yeah. about this, Dan, is that that um, so many of us um, have uh, known people that that have had cancer, and um, we're about the same age, right. and um, people our age are now contending with it. Um, in numbers that, that I, I would think that previous generations didn't have to. Um, and, and I think that's, the, that, that's the, the awful thing about how we've come to relate to all of this, I guess, is that, that uh, no life goes untouched by this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's something my wife and I found. You know, so for added context, the book is really about my wife and I recovering from cancer treatments. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015. Uh-huh. And on her final day of uh, therapy, so she was receiving her final infusion of chemotherapy, I was down the hall being um, diagnosed with stage 4, but treatable, uh, perhaps even curable, um, the colon cancer. Uh-huh. So we sort of transitioned right from, you know, she was the patient, I was a caregiver, we flipped roles um, right away. And, yeah, one thing we suddenly were learning about and realizing was um, how many people, of course, uh, deal with cancer or their loved ones or friends deal with cancer. But, yeah, I think the lifelong incidence of cancer diagnosis is something like 50% of people will, you know, at some point in their life have a cancer diagnosis. Um, And that, of course, you know, there's a wide range of, of, of really different diseases in many ways mm-hmm. and um, and severity, you know. Uh, but, yeah, we did realize more than we had before in our lives because we were younger, I guess, mm-hmm. and perhaps there were lower level, lower rates of cancers, certain cancers. Um, you know, I will say, you know, that colon cancer especially is – considered a epidemic among younger people these days. Mm. So they're seeing, you know, uh, they've been seeing for many years really a skyrocketing rate of diagnosis of colon cancer among people in their 30s and 40s, where it used to be considered a cancer of well, old age or mm-hmm. others older age. Um, and this, according to my doctors, you know, they, they don't really know why that is the case. Um, cancer, of course, has many possible causes, and there's probably many causes acting at once that causes, um, you know, cancer to develop, uh, but it must have a lot to do with uh, not only diet, but environmental factors. Um, So, yeah, I mean, my previous collection of poetry, which was written really during our treatment, was revised for many years afterwards, but it was written during, and, and, you know, I titled that rather... Uh, blatantly, uh, our cancers, speaking about my wife and I, but also hoping um, to sort of invite uh, the uh, topic into the room or into the book of just how common an experience um, cancer is. 
And th- there are poems in for this. Better, co- yeah. For worse. Yeah. There, there are poems in this collection, Dan, where um, you think about the the, the, uh, the possible causes. Um, there's a poem early on yeah. in the book where you, where you're um, in the midst of a surgical procedure and, and or pardon me you're you're just past a, 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 a surgical procedure and and you talk about your sins being resected. Um, you do um, I guess think about um, what might have caused this. I mean, in, in a previous conversation, I think you uh, suggested that perhaps uh, living downtown. In New York City, um, during 9/11, might have had, um, you know, might have been the cause of, of the cancer, both you and your wife. Um, right. I guess when you're going through treatment and you're going through through an illness like this, these are things that you think about, right? Yeah, I don't think you can really avoid it. You know, something, really anything, difficult or challenging or at the time terrible happens in one's life. I think people always ask themselves what you know why <laughs> why yeah. me i guess is the question or what 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 did i do i think there's a kind of um primal impulse you know sort of very unconscious or half conscious impulse to say did i did i do something mistakenly uh, mistakenly that could have led to this uh, outcome uh i think part of the stigma with cancer especially for many people you know is is because of such a fearsome uh, disease, uh, we like to think if we avoid certain things, if we don't smoke, we won't get lung cancer. If we yeah. don't do this or that, if we don't, if we don't get sunburns all the time, we'll avoid skin cancer. Um, and to some degree, that's true, uh, but it's not, it's not foolproof. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's, there's just a lot, but, but I think you, yeah, with cancer, I think uh, people do have that impulse to say, well, could I have done something, um, that caused this? But I think it goes deeper. I think it's kind of just an emotional, psychological response. You know, you feel that you're in danger. You don't want to be in danger. So you're thinking, how do I, how do I get out of danger? And you're also thinking, well, how did I get here? You know, yeah. what, what may have put me in this position? Um, so, yeah, so with some of the poems, I did, I did find myself exploring that question. Yeah, there's another piece in the For book sure. where you look at photographs of yourself. And um, you um, f- find one, and you wonder, you know, w- w- was the cancer already there when that photo was taken? Um, d- right. Does yeah. this does this wondering, does this this second guessing even, um, is, is it useful at all when 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 you're contending with an illness like this? I don't know. I, my my initial response. Is, is probably not. <laughs> it probably isn't useful, but it happened, uh, or it happened for me for sure. But I think um, you know maybe it has something to do. You know, my feeling about trauma, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've had several sort of traumatic episodes in my life. Uh, maybe not several, three, three, or maybe four. Uh, has been that it it, it kind of. Um, shatters or severely disrupts one's sense of self. Mm. Uh, and that includes one's sense of the narrative of your past, uh, who you've been in the past, what trauma is doing to you now to change who you think you are now and who you're going to be in the future. So, um, you know, the poems 
I included in the book tended to be poems where I was looking back uh, and trying to understand who I was in, in the hope of kind of revising and creating a new sense of self, a new narrative that could feel whole, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, because, when, you know, in, in, in the midst of trauma, or at least I felt this way, uh, you, it feels like chaos. You know, you feel like your life has been disrupted in all kinds of ways. Your, your idea of who you are and who you're going to be in your future has been um, altered, perhaps perhaps destroyed. You, you don't know. Uh, but, you know, when I was writing these poems, especially the first drafts of these poems, I was just following my, my intuition and my instinct and trying to pay attention to which memories were coming up um, and trying to use the writing as a way to be curious about why those memories or those images were surfacing from my past. Um, and, you know, I wrote many, many more prose poems than, than are in the book. Mm -hmm. So over several years, it became a process of saying, okay, you know, which, which memories really mean the most to me and seem to work in, in the context of, of this book and the overall story, for lack of a better term, of somebody and his wife and his family trying to come come back to life, trying to reintegrate with, with life as somebody um, who, uh, you know, hopefully is on the road to recovery, you know. There's also a poem in the book where you, where you talk about this purge that happens in your house where you donate a bunch of, uh, it's mostly clothing, as I recall, um, that um, yeah. you, you feel... Um, because it was from the past when, when um, you really didn't want it in the house anymore. I guess it's, it's, it's more, that's more superstition than, than anything, right? It is, I think. And, and that was, that's part of um, the kind of unconscious or sort of primal feelings that were coming up for me, you know, and it probably is superstition. Uh, this feeling of, of not wanting... Yeah, it wasn't. You know, that poem is about clothes for sure. This idea that the clothing that I associated with the, the first—I mean, the year or two before I was diagnosed, especially—where mm. I felt like, oh, there was something wrong with me during that time, and I didn't understand it. And then by the time I figured out what was going on physically, I was in this position that felt so life-threatening. And so, yeah, it was kind of a superstitious impulse to want to. Um, to start new, you know, uh, in all kinds of ways. And clothing, at least in that poem, became just, a, I suppose, a metaphor for um, you know, wanting to shed this old skin, you know, yeah. uh, that, that uh, and, and, and that, you know, you finish treatment, and I was lucky enough to finish treatment and be told, you know, I have no evidence of disease. Yeah. You have this immense feeling of relief. You have a great deal of trepidation and worry, too, but you feel like, okay, this is potentially a rebirth. And I, I, you, can, you can just sort of resume your life, you know, from nine months ago or, or 12 months ago. Yeah. Um, but at least for me, I felt an impulse to um, resume my life in a different way, in a new way. Uh, again, because I had felt, I felt changed. I was in the process of trying to understand in what ways specifically I felt changed. But I didn't want to go 
back to who I was before. I didn't think I could necessarily, but I didn't. I also didn't want to. Yeah. At the same time that that you're going through this, does does one's relationship with faith, and not religion in particular, but faith itself, does that change at all? Say. It does. It, it did for me. I mean, it's um, perhaps it perhaps it intensifies some feelings and thoughts about faith, you know. Or it did for me when I was first diagnosed. I kept thinking of so I was raised very vaguely, vaguely Christian, mm-hmm. and I suppose I've stayed I've stayed that way. Uh, but my intense my my vague Christianity. Did intensify <laughs> somewhat during that period, mm. and then still probably is there. You know, I've always been uh, somewhat embarrassed, I think, uh, in certain circles to admit this, but I've always been somebody who believes in, in a higher power and who believes mm-hmm. um, in something that that could be turned the supernatural. I'm probably an agnostic in the sense that I'm perfectly happy to accept that my religious feelings are all psychologically based. Mm. That doesn't matter to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if it is, yeah. that's fine. Um, you know, because it, it means something to me. It's overlaid and overlapping with how I think about art and creating and inspiration. And so, it's, my concept of faith is very, you know, uh, personal and and so yeah, I have I have no interest in kind of organized religion or, or, or right. dogma of any kind. Um, but I did yeah, I did find that my uh, idiosyncratic Christian faith um, was was important was was felt important to me, uh, especially during treatments. Um, and and it comes through in some of the poems, you know, just in terms of the imagery. Yeah, and uh, or even during one, you know, the, the year after treatment, I was invited by a, this uh, organization that brings writers to visit Israel, mm. and so I was able to, for the first time, visit that part of the world, and so I wrote some poems about that. So throughout the collection, there, there is a kind of you know, theme, I suppose, of. Um, Spirituality and uh, and faith. Yeah, this, and um, and I think yeah. probably yeah. Go ahead, sir. I, I was just going to mention that you, you mentioned Israel. Um, there's a moment on this yeah. trip that you 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 uh, uh, allude to, and in another piece in the book, where throughout your life, um, people have looked at you and, and assumed you were Jewish. Does that yeah. happen still? Yeah. It it does it does I mean. I, it, Interestingly, well, I, I don't know. But I grew up in a town, a suburb of uh, New York called Scarsdale, New York, which at least the time I grew up was the, a very large Jewish population. So I sometimes think I soaked up something of, of you know something in the way I speak. You know, so I would get. I, you know, I think it's also maybe my, to some degree, my appearance. I have dark curly hair, and uh-huh. you know, but I think some of it was maybe cultural or my accent to whatever degree I have a kind of New York accent. When I was living, I lived for a year in Ireland um, in my 20s, and uh, I got that a lot there. And I think that had more to do with, you know, a lot of the Irish, at least in the 90s, their idea of Americans were 
uh, from the Allen movies or something. You know? right, yeah, or, yeah. or maybe they saw me as a kind of neurotic uh, artist writer type from a new from New York area. Um, so I would get that. But yeah, you know, in, in, in Israel, I had people wondering or asking me if I was Jewish, and um, so yeah, that has been that has been something throughout my life. Um, I couldn't help as I was reading the book and and um, reading about you and in, in, in these thoughts that you have during your your illness, um, uh, especially when you're too hard on yourself or you're too critical. I, I couldn't help but but um, as a reader, want to tell the writer that you know he shouldn't give a damn what what, what people think about him or or. Um, you know, or, or, or overthink these things. And, and um, as I, I as I thought about why I had this reaction as I was reading, um, I thought, well, I, I'm probably guilty of the same. And and it's probably easier for someone like yeah. me to, to criticize somebody else for doing the same things that I'm guilty of. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't doubt that compared to other people, uh, I overthink things and, you know, uh, perhaps I'm too self-critical. I feel like I, I feel like I know a lot of writers with a similar psychology, mm, so maybe it's yeah. more common to writers. Or maybe it's, as you say, it's the sort of thing where you see somebody else being self-monitoring or self-critical in a certain way, you know, it may be different from the way you do it or about different things, and it's easier to... Um, you know, to have a, a, an opinion about that. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I think, I, I don't know, I sort of think it is the writer's job, probably is the, the writer's temperament, um, to to question oneself, question others too, but to question oneself perhaps more than anyone else. Um, and again, because I was curious about, you know, this, these are prose poems, but I really think of it as a hybrid with memoir perhaps even with dramatic monologue, because I think mm-hmm. so many of these poems, some of the poems are much more like prose poems in the sense of they're impressionistic and, and uh, sort of language dance. But many of the prose poems are kind of conversational, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the way or close to the way I would speak uh, to a friend about some of these um, memories and hopes and, and fears and that sort of thing. And... Uh, you know, so I, I did. I did want to be uh, curious with myself about what I was going through, because I never, you know, as I said, there have been points in my life where I feel like something traumatic and difficult has happened to me. Uh, but this, this was the first thing where I thought there was a very good chance I was going to die. Mm. And it's not that that question goes away. Uh, or has ever, would go away for anyone, really. But they had that immediate sense that I had during treatment, you know, that this could be it. That was the first time I'd had to confront that. So I was, I was immensely curious uh, about how my brain, my spirit, my psychology was, um, was handling, was, was handling that, that question. When you're thinking about death, as you just said, um, you're, you're obviously thinking about all the things that you're going to miss not being here, right? Um, do you wonder, though, what happens when we we die? 
I do. I used to wonder more before this happened. Hmm. Uh, and there was, I used to have, you know, for years, I, I wrote a play years ago about the Fox sisters who are considered the founders of modern spiritualism, which is, uh, you know, technically a church, but essentially they were in the 1840s. They, um, they started, I guess, what you would call uh, the, the modern wave of um, psychic mediums in this country, and it got expanded to the UK. And of course, that was around long before the Fox Sisters, but they they, um, they started a particular modern version of, of um, belief in the spirit world. And uh, so I, for many years, I was fascinated by psychics and mediums, and uh, especially the, the very American and probably North American, or maybe also all the Americans, mm-hmm. um, reinvention of kind of European uh, and, and Middle Eastern uh, religion. Um, and uh, I think I was attracted to it for a lot of reasons. I think it was an interest, it was a metaphor for me of um, the occult, the so-called occult, being a manifestation of unacknowledged psychic uh, pain. And you could probably make the argument that religion is that as well, mm. <laughs> organized religion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then going through, my wife and I went through, even though I felt like we had, I had some heightened spiritual experiences during treatment and after, I was less interested in, and then less interested in, um, thinking too much about that question, you know, of the reality of, 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 uh, an afterlife, for example, sort of trusting that, that I don't need to know, mm. and I, I don't need to know now, and we'll all find out eventually, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just and I think it had more to do maybe with the desire that I hope is in this new book, this desire to engage even more fully with life. You know, that I felt like if the spirit world is trying to tell me anything in the last several years, it was to, um, you know, to to live more. Uh, and to try to live in the present and experience more joy, you know, in life and in, in the moment uh, than I had in the past. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like that question of, of an afterlife and what's it all about and that sort of thing, I, I, I'm not happy to kind of put it on a shelf yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is a, a lot in the book that is beautiful. Things that you've you've come to appreciate, things that you've come to learn from your daughter, especially. Um, that yeah. it, it, I mean, the the title "Survivors Notebook" um, it really means that that you have survived this, and um, th- there is a lot that that, that um, you're looking forward to a lot a lot of hope, and um, and, and I think that's a, the great lesson of this book is that. A lot of us need to, um, you know, think about what's good in one's life and, and appreciate that, of course, and, and, and as you just said, live life to the fullest, which, which is what a lot of us don't do, even though we know that that's what we're supposed to do. I guess that's what a handbook is right. for, right? That's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way for, right. for us to, to use that in that sense, right? Yeah, and of course, it's not like, you know, you come through an experience like what my wife and I came through, and, and suddenly, 
you know, your Gandhi or Mother Teresa or something. <laughs> you know, uh, some of the poems are about the experience of coming back uh, from from uh, the brink and suddenly having to worry about taxes and, uh, you know, the paying the phone bill or uh, my wife's an actress, you know, whether or not she's, she got that gig or didn't get that gig or for me, one worried about some journal, you know, declining a poetry submission or a theater uh, accepting or, or, or not a play of mine. You know, um, the, the, the sort of ego concerns of living, of course, come back and coexist. Um, but I like to think that there are more moments that I'm able to keep those things in perspective, um, uh, you know, more than I was able to uh, beforehand. And, uh, you know, there's even, there's a, a poem in there, it's probably a few poems, but there's one poem, a short poem called Pride, specifically about that, you know, uh, sort of as I was healing, suddenly finding myself having this the, the, the usual ego concerns of a writer. And on one hand, feeling terribly disappointed in myself, you know, that I, that I was suddenly having those thoughts and feelings again. Because during treatment, I didn't care about my so-called career, uh-huh. you know, that, that, that didn't matter. That seemed incredibly frivolous and vain and egotistical and, um, you know, all kinds of things. And then to have, to have some of those thoughts or feelings coming back like they existed in the past, was disappointing to me. On the other hand, and the poem tries to capture that, I felt um, grateful that this kind of, what I think of as the more sort of animal side of my human existence was coming back online, you know, the part of the human body that I guess you could say it's the ego, but it's also worried about, you know, where's your next meal going to come from? Mm. You know, what's my next job going to be? Um, this, this, these are thoughts that you have when you're alive, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're not necessarily about to die. So it was kind of, um, wonderful for those, for those um, thoughts and feelings to be coming back. And I love writing about things that are, that are, um, uh, conflicting or conflicted or, you know, ambivalent feelings. Uh, you know, that's, that's very human and rich, uh, to me, um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of, that's, I suppose that's what I mean about being curious about some of these new thoughts and feelings that I was having post, post-treatment. And, uh, and, you know, and, using, and using the writing as a way to, to, to figure it out, to make sense of it for myself. And post-treatment, does that include um, uh, uh, wanting to be funnier, say? Because there is a poem in the book where, where you wonder... Yeah. Um, about being funny, that, that um, at one point you think you were funnier before than now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we we read that at the book launch last night. I, I asked friends of mine who mm-hmm. were actors to read most of the poems, and, I, and a lot of them were comic actors, and, and one of them read that poem. And, um, it was very meaningful to me, because they've gone on. These are friends of mine who really are professionally funny. And... Um, when I was younger, I was an actor, and I met some of them as a doing comedy improv. And um, you know, at the time, I thought I was pretty funny. I was pretty talented as a performer. But I followed, you know, a, a more uh, exclusively 
uh, writerly uh, career journey or, or life journey. And, um, yeah, that poem is sort of, you know, in many ways that poem is more about just wondering, remembering a time in one's life when everything was new mm. and your your adult life was one of potential, which, of course, at that time was also full of anxiety. You know, when you're in your early 20s or whenever, you're also you've got lots of potential, but you're also wondering, well, what am I going to do with my life? Am I making the right choices? Am, am I any good at this thing I'm passionate about? Whatever. Um, but, you know, to, to look back on it 20 years later and, and wonder, well, now that I've uh, been given this chance to restart my life, you know, well, well, could, could I be something new or something I used to be? Or, you know, could I... Um, could I reinvent myself in some fashion? It, it wasn't literally a belief, you know, that I, I should become a stand-up comedian or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at this point. Uh, but um, only because I don't think I could do it. But I think maybe, you know, maybe it is connected to just, again, wanting to find and appreciate more joy in life, you know, and if that yeah. means finding the humor um, in life, I think that's, that's great. And that's why I hope many of the poems have, you know, a certain amount of uh, humorous, you know, elements to it. Um, you know, none of them are necessarily funny poems whatsoever. But, but I, you know, I was aware and enjoying a lot of the ironies in some of these memories that were coming up for me. Um and also trying to find the humor and the irony just in the way people speak, you know. Mm, yeah. Uh, whether that's the way I speak in the more conversational poems or in the poems that have dialogue in them. Um, I, as a playwright as well, that's that's so important to me, too. I just love the way people speak, aside from just, you know, what, what we say. Do, do you, um, how often do you find yourself, as you're writing, inventing words? Fairly often, I, I do that less maybe than I used to. I used to, um, I don't know. I used to identify it with, to whatever degree, genetically I'm Irish. I feel like there's an Irish <laughs> impulse <laughs> yeah. or propensity to to coin coin a phrase or to use words. I mean, all writers do this, and certainly I think poets do this. You want to use words in a way that is novel enough to feel. Uh, to, to, to wake the, uh, the reader up. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. that it's not um, sort of cliched or expected. Um, insofar as you're hoping to capture, you know, what your experience is as the writer of something that feels um, novel and, uh, and surprising and strange. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure there's a certain amount of, amount of that. Um, but again, it was tempered by this desire to... to um, in a lot of the poems, to hew close to the voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I suppose my voice or my kind of internal voice and how I would be speaking either to myself or to a friend. And uh, so, and, but that did mean, of course, at times using, yeah, strange locutions or malapropisms or, um, you know, in, in, uh, or ungrammatical uh, infelicities, as they say, that might be 
um, funny or revealing in terms of what's going on in the poem. Yeah, there's one word, and I had to look it up in my notes here. Um, uh, you were referring to a couple that had gone to Europe on sabbatical, and um, you said right. that they sabbaticaled in Europe, which I, which I, you know, I, I thought was a word, and um, then yeah. I kept thinking about it, and 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 then um, I, I looked it up. It, it's 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 not a word, but I, I mean I can't think of a better word to use. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that's a good example of something that just felt kind of conversational to yeah. me and that, yeah, technically technically it's not, uh, you know, a word, but it felt like something that I would say to somebody, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, in conversation. And, um, yeah, so that's a good example of something where, and also I think that keeps, I mean, that's, uh, that again, might be where, you know, my, my interest in playwriting comes from, too. That's, I, I love... Or even beginning in comedy improv, as I did, you know, loving yeah. what happens improvisationally to speech. Um, you know, these poems have been revised and revised and revised because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and this <laughs> this is the way you write books. You know, you have to you have to make sure um, you're making the choices you want to be making. So I've, I've sort of thought through, but I I do try to keep. Um, in, in a way, mistakes, you know, that might be, uh, that might work on some level. Yeah. You know, uh, or leaps in logic or in thought. You know, some somebody described a lot of these poems as feeling stream of consciousness to them, which I think is a fair description. But for me, it's, it, it's not stream of consciousness, it's stream of conversation, mm, you know. Yeah. Uh, even if I'm speaking to myself, it's, it's, I'm trying to follow um, the way my mind, conscious and unconscious, was working through some of these memories and some of these experiences, um, which meant that there is a kind of fluidity often in time and place. And, um, you know, that was exciting to me, at least, to, to, write, to write that way. Um, but, yeah, that meant, that meant often trying to capture... Surprising, surprising moments, which are sometimes surprising, uh, surprising language. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, we've talked over the years about your your work, your craft. Um, what, what's the part of writing, the part of your job that you enjoy the least? Enjoy the least. Oh boy. I, I mean, I suppose it, it, it is that side of a job that has to do with. Ego, you know, feeling um, uh, e either, you know, feeling accepted or rewarded for your writing or complimented for your writing or feeling, you know, uh, rejected or ignored or, or unduly criticized for your writing. Um, you know, that's that's necessary. It's obviously a necessary part of, part of writing, and it's the only way you can, of course, um, reach readers or an audience and I'm not interested in writing you know for a box in my closet you know mm -hmm. I really do want to connect with people so I, I, I accept I accept these, these sort of ego ego um, uh, risks uh, you know in order to to connect with people um, but that's probably the hardest because of course the thing I enjoy the most is the, the 
process of writing. You know, speaking mm-hmm. of cliché, there's a cliché to talk about the process. <laughs> uh, but that is what I enjoy the most, what I get to do most of the time, which is just work at my desk and discover what a piece is slowly over time, have the days when something really works and have the many days where writing feels like drudgery. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really do love all of that. And some of that goes back to the obsessive compulsive disorder. I just wrote a, uh, a piece that's going to be uh, in a newspaper soon about how OCD and my writing developed at the same time as a young person. And, mm. uh, you know, my, my OCD is well managed now as an adult, but I still feel uh, a lot of the same OCD impulses within the realm or within the arena of, of writing, you know, in terms of trying to uh, control language, uh-huh. uh, trying to order my thoughts and emotions with language. It gives me a lot of the same satisfaction and self-soothing that um, I used to derive from compulsive behaviors, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so, um, so maybe I'm sure that's a big reason why the process of writing is so satisfying to me. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not a disorder for me in the sense that I, I feel very much in control of it, and it's, uh, it's overall a really pleasurable, satisfying way to spend my life. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's where, that's where I'm happiest. Yeah. And that's, of course, where every writer says this and every artist says this, I think. You know, when, when you're in the process, it's still, you're dealing with potentialities for the piece, right? You're not really worried about the so-called product. You may have a dream of what this book is going to be or what this play is going to be one day. Uh, and the truth is, no matter what you do, it'll never be what you dreamed of, mm. you know, this sort of amorphous perfection you had in mind. It'll eventually be whenever you finish it, or your, or it finishes you, when you're no longer working on the piece. Uh, it'll be something human, you know, with all kinds of um, strengths and weaknesses. And um, so, when it gets to that point, I try to I usually hope to be working on something new. You know, and yeah. when I'm letting go of one project, it's really helpful to be in process on something else. You know. And you mentioned a moment ago this this uh, book launch yesterday. Uh, we're, we're taping this in early September. Um, th- that reaction to your work from readers, from audience members listening, um, that makes this character of the book, the, the, this this um, thing of a book, all the more alive, doesn't it? I mean, it. it um, in a way, it's no longer yours, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, my wife and I kind of, um, she, we were co-MCs, I suppose, of the event, and we joked at the beginning, and we felt like we were welcoming everyone to our, um, you know, recommitment ceremony or something, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that feeling, or, or maybe it was like my Sweet 16 and my wife was throwing it, you know, it was a real sort of event or, or party that was happening. Um, but I think those comparisons make sense in, in the sense that, you know, this, this is the books, the books out there, you know, the books done, it's for better and for worse. And 
hopefully for better, but it's out in the world, and uh, we're going to celebrate it. You know, celebrate that um, that we're here. My both my wife and I yeah, to, to yeah. see the book published, and you know, to hope that it, um, like I said earlier, to hope that you know enough people connect to it and find something. Uh, meaningful or, or comforting in it. And then there were a few people at the, at the launch last night, people I didn't know who came, who, uh, you know, a, a woman whose husband was going through cancer treatment at the mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. at a young age, and she was talking to me about that. And um, and my wife said at the, at the event, she said, you know, when she was diagnosed, and then when I was diagnosed six months later, she was scouring the Internet for stories of people who had survived, mm. you know, because it was very helpful to her to find those stories. She felt like she wasn't finding enough of those stories, which I think is uh, interesting. You know, I think there could be lots of reasons for that. Yeah. Oh. One reason being that I think often people survive and there's an impulse to just put it behind you. Right. And to not talk about it, uh, which is completely understandable why lots of people would want to do that. Um, but, you know, she, she really wanted to find stories of a happy ending. And when she did find those stories, and she, you know, we were lucky to have friends who, who were survivors, um, and that was immensely helpful. And, um, you know, my wife tries to do that. She has a podcast called The Deep Dive, which is um, pretty popular. She's a comic yeah. actor. She's just comedy improv and her partner is a comedian too but they they often talk about some very um, serious topics and have guests on to talk about serious things hence the deep dive uh, but, but her impulse is the same you know she wants to be open about um, our experience and to try to allow vulnerability to be um, a strength and uh, to connect you know to connect us to other people who are going through, you know, something similar, yeah. and um, to focus on not just survival but but joy. One of one of her the catchphrases on this podcast is, uh, "Well, they have two. One is F yes life, yeah, which is something she used to say. Jessica, my wife, would say during treatment. She'd uh-huh. say that all the time. You know, just to focus on um, life and living. And the other is let us live. Is another slogan they use." Uh, on their podcast, and their, their um, listeners use that term a lot, too. Uh, so even though they're talking about some very serious topics, the focus is, again, on connection yeah. and finding joy in life. Uh, without denying, uh, you know, I grew up in a family that was full of denial mm-hmm. and full of secrecy and full of mental illness. And, but the, the uh, overwhelming component in my childhood was this sense of denial, that we cannot speak about certain uh, difficult subjects, experiences in the family. And uh, I grew up seeing how damaging that was to me and to my five other siblings. And uh, so, you know, I decided early on that uh, I was going to try my best to not live that way and you know for better and for worse I've been drawn towards subjects to write about that are perhaps to some degree taboo and want and I, and I want to um, 
tell those stories and, and you know find meaning or humor or, or, or beauty um, you know, something to salvage from uh, from difficulty in life and speaking of your childhood I understand that the a book that's soon to be released that we'll be talking about in, in a few weeks um, talks all about that. Is that right? Yeah, there's, uh, so I wrote a, a like a, me- a prose memoir, um, and it'll be released in yeah, in a month in, in October, and it's specifically about my childhood. It does the end of the book fast forwards a little bit because I feel in many ways I didn't really um, deal with my childhood until I was you know, in my early 30s uh-huh. or something. Uh, but the majority of the book is really focused on, on you know, in, until I left home, birth until leaving home. And, um, yeah, it's about the experience of growing up. Uh, my parents were dealing with undiagnosed and untreated mental illness, and it was it was a very, I would, you know, at a certain age now that I can keep it in perspective, it was a significantly dysfunctional family. There was emotional and verbal abuse. Many people grew up in much, much worse uh, environments. But this is my story, I guess, and how I uh, found my way uh, through it um, and out of that, uh, metaphorically out of that house, you know, and into a life that uh, feels... Well, feels a lot better than my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the next. <laughs> but it was interesting when yeah. I was writing it. I did. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, that's true. I don't want to go too much into it if we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Wait, it's it's. In remembering it, uh, in having a lot of those memories in my childhood, I was uh, surprised and relieved to also remember lots of you know positive uh, things mm. about my childhood too, and that's in the book as well. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's the next book I'm going to read, and I'm I'm looking forward to it a great deal. I I can't tell you, Dan, how much I found um, solace in, in a way. I found comfort. I found um, a lot of wisdom, uh, some some humor as well in in Survivor's Notebook. It it, it is a, an incredibly useful book, and and I can't help but think that that um, it'll help someone out there um, pick it up, especially. Um, when they need it the most, you know. Um, I so appreciate your time today, and I look forward to, to talking to you in a few weeks. Of course. Thank you, Joe. That's so kind of you to say, and you always have such insightful thoughts and questions, so uh, it's always a joy uh, to talk to you. So thank you. The website for more is at danobrien.org. The book is called Survivor's Notebook. It's published by Acre Books. It's uh, author Dan O'Brien. Join me on the line from Los Angeles. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plunder.